Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Now I do, I do have my voice at the moment at least, and I'm really excited to close out this series in Psalm 23. I feel like the Lord has really just given me a word for our church, an encouragement, um, and I trust that he will speak this morning to you. Um, so hello, everyone online. I know you're there and outside. I saw a bunch of you there as well. Uh, welcome this morning. To begin, I just want to sort of recap where we've been. So if you've been around for the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through uh, Psalm 23. And... Um, We've been going through verse by verse, one line at a time, slowly sitting with this poem in in Psalms written by David. And so um, if you're just joining us this week, or if you've missed a couple, let me just sort of summarize where we've been. And the way I want to do this is to actually walk through the psalm real briefly uh, in terms of seasons, okay, in terms of seasons in our spiritual lives. And one of the uh, beautiful things about this psalm is that it actually sort of captures some of the major seasons of our lives with Jesus. It sort of walks through these different seasons in our journey. And so in the first week, we saw that the Lord is our good shepherd, and we saw that we can lack nothing in him. And I would describe that as a season of contentment, a season of of peace and confidence and safety, and security in our identity. And then we saw how this good shepherd leads us to green pastures. He makes us rest by quiet waters. This is a season of delight, a season of noticing God's hand at work, a season of rhythm and rest in him. And then Don talked about, in the third week, how this good shepherd leads us to the right path. He leads us on paths of righteousness. He actually makes the path known to us for his namesake, for his purposes. And I see that as a season of discernment, of seeking God, of listening for his voice. And God, what what is your will for my life? What is the path for me? That's often wrestling with God in those sorts of seasons and really crying out for direction, right? And then we saw how that path, Jeff talked about this, how that very path can often lead us through a valley, through a valley of the shadow of death. And this is a season of darkness. It's a season that's often characterized by anxiety and and pain and failure and maybe a roadblock to move forward. And last week, Don talked about this lavish banquet. After the valley, on the other side, there's a a feast prepared for us. And, And he explained how the metaphor shifts from a good shepherd to a gracious host who invites us into his home and prepares this banquet, even in the presence of enemies. And I would describe that as a season of abundance, of of provision, and living in that place of a full cup, and our needs are being met. All of these are different seasons that each one of us goes through in our lives with Jesus. And as you're looking up there at these different words, I would just love for you, uh, before we look at the end of this psalm, 
to just consider, what season are you in? What season do you resonate with? And maybe what one or two seasons you resonate with? Because in many ways, the seasons, they overlap. There's crossover, right? You can be in a season of discernment and also have moments of experiencing contentment in the Lord, right? Or you can be in a season of abundance, but then there's moments of darkness. Anxiety can creep in, right? So they, they, they go together. It's sort of like the actual season, spring, summer, winter, fall. They overlap, right? It's like right now in California. The, the first day of spring is March 20th, right? So it's winter right now. That's why I have my beanie on, right? It, it's winter. Um, or it's spring or it's summer. I don't really know. The lines are blurry, right? Um, but just think about that for a moment. What season are you in? And I think it's important for us to do because one of the barriers in just experiencing intimacy with Christ a lot of times is simply naming where we are. I think there's so much power when we come into God's presence in simply saying, God, this is where I am today. And just holding that up before him and asking him to meet you. So Psalm 23, it captures this sort of maturation process of our faith. It captures these different seasons and the stages in our transformation. Um, One season is not better than the other. They all play a significant role in our growth. But here's what I want you to see today. There is a banner that hangs over each of these seasons, a banner that hangs over each of these seasons. It's actually the thing that holds this entire psalm together, sort of the unifying through line in each of these seasons. And on the banner, here's what it says. It says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. In every season, in the darkness, in the valley, in abundance, in the field with the shepherds, surely goodness and mercy are at my side pursuing me. If you're taking notes, uh, you can fill that in on the, on the bulletin. God's goodness and love are never changing realities in all seasons. God's goodness and love are never changing realities in all seasons. So if you have a Bible, you can grab it. Um, feel free to turn to Psalm 23. Or you can follow along on the screen. And what I want to do is I want to zoom in on this verse for a moment and and just get right next to it and look closely at a few words. And then we're actually going to zoom out. We're going to pull back and sort of go behind the curtain of this psalm and think about it from David's perspective. We're going to think about the actual person, King David, penning these words. How did he get to that place of being able to say this? So first, to zoom in, to get close to this psalm, um, I want to look at just a couple things. So surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice the confidence in this bold declaration. Surely 
David says, certainly, definitely, without a doubt, your goodness and love will follow me every day of my life. This is a promise, something I can cling to. And that word, follow, it's an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word radaf, radaf. And it actually, uh, a better translation is really to chase or pursue or even aim to secure something. And it's actually a military word, which makes sense because David, he was, he was a commander in the military. He knew what it was like to be chased. Do you remember those stories? Right? With, with, go back to Sunday school with Saul chasing him. He'd literally been chased by Saul for years. He knew what it meant to be pursued by enemies. And so he's using this military word and sort of flipping it on its head saying, I'm not being chased by an enemy. I'm being pursued by God's character, by his goodness and mercy with the same tenacity and fervor and persistence. God is chasing after him. You might need to just hold on to that one truth today that God is chasing after you. He's pursuing you right where you are on this day. Another thing about this word, real quick, is that uh, the word follow, this word radaf, it's in the imperfect tense in Hebrew, okay? I know some of you just tuned out. You're like, I'll tune back in at the next joke. 30 seconds, okay? 30, 30 seconds, hang with me. It's in the imperfect tense in Hebrew. And what's significant about this is that in Hebrew, there's a perfect tense that refers to completed action. So, so something that's been done, it's finished. Whereas the imperfect tense refers to ongoing, sort of unfolding action that isn't completed yet. And depending on the context, it actually can refer to the past, present, or future. And so in, in one Hebrew lexicon, I was reading it, it pointed out that in this context, because David says, all the days of my life, this verse could actually read like this. Goodness and love have followed me, are following me, and will follow me all the days of my life. This is an unfolding process that he's reflecting on God's faithfulness that stayed the same his entire life. The last thing I just want you to think about is that word is translated as love. It might be mercy in your Bible, Goodness and love, goodness and mercy. It's one of the great Hebrew words, chesed. Chesed. Brian, you're laughing at me. I know I didn't get it perfect, but say it with me. Try saying that with me on the count of three. Chesed. One, two, three. There you go. You got it. This is one of the most beautiful words. It's so rich. It's sort of the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament agape. That's selfless. Love And it really is just referring to God's loyal, covenant love, that unfailing mercy, the sort of love that shows up and is, is extended to us even when we are unfaithful. Right? You might feel some of that today, like just looking back in your week, and you just say, man, I, I just sort of forgot about you, God, this week. I just haven't prioritized you. I haven't been with you. 
And this sort of loyal love is God showing up today saying, my grace is for you. It's still here. Now, as I was sitting with this passage, one of the questions that came to mind was how could David say such a thing? How could he make such a bold declaration as he looks back on his life, right? He's likely writing this psalm at the end of his life, reflecting on his whole life. How could he say this? I was thinking about it, and I mean, like, was he able to say it because his life just went really well? Was he able to say it because... His family loved spending time together, and he had a good job, and he had a healthy marriage, and he made a lot of money, and he didn't have any enemies. He didn't struggle with any blatant sin, right? And his life ended happily ever after. Thus, goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life. No, right? If you know anything about David's story, it was exactly the opposite. David's life was a mess especially the second half, towards the end of his life, it was a mess. It was actually pain, failure, and disappointment that drove David to a place where his only option was to put his confidence in God's goodness and love. It was his pain failure and disappointment that drove him to this place where the only option was to rest in the character of God. The second thing I want you to know is this. God can be good and we can suffer at the same time. God can be good and we can suffer at the same time. This actually was something that my, my dad reminded me of this past week. We were just sort of talking about my sermon and was bouncing some ideas off of him. And he said this phrase. And I know that he has lived it. He's actually here in the room today, and I was just looking at him. It just felt important to give credit where credit is due. But I also, I trust him because he knows He knows this. He's experienced it. I'm sure many of you have as well. So we're going to see this play out in David's story. Um, And what I want to do is just sort of summarize a bit of David's story. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. um, But if it's been a little while since you've read through 1 and 2 Samuel, I'm just going to walk through a couple things, okay? Okay. Now, I'm sure you know that the early years of David's life were were pretty good, right? There were a lot of highlights. He was anointed to be king at the age of 10 by Samuel. It wouldn't be until he was 30 when he actually became king. But in those years, he, he slayed the giant Goliath and became famous. He sort of became popular, and Saul was jealous of him. And he wrote all sorts of songs and played for Saul He became a commander in the military and had all sorts of success. But the second half of David's life was different. And there was a turning point in the story in 2 Samuel 11. This was 22 years into David's reign. So he's in his 50s. Just imagine this king 
who's had a full life. He's in his 50s now, and he's at this point where he makes a decision to sleep with Bathsheba. He commits adultery. I'm sure you're familiar with that moment in the story. And it's sort of this hinge moment at the beginning where there's the decline for David in a lot of ways, sort of the beginning of his fall. He commits adultery with Bathsheba uh, in order to cover his sin. He ends up having her husband murdered. You remember that? Her husband Uriah. He has him murdered on the battlefield. The prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him that your sins will be forgiven. You're not going to die, but you are going to reap consequences for your sin. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens after that moment. The story goes on, and one of the most painful things that happens is one of David's sons, Amnon, actually rapes his sister. David's son, Amnon, he rapes his sister. It's a horrifying story, and the Bible is brutally honest about it. David's outraged, yet he does nothing to discipline his son. Another one of his sons, Absalom, the story goes on, his his son Absalom is enraged by this, and he ends up murdering his brother Amnon because of that event. So David's son, Absalom, murders his other son, Amnon, after this happened. The story goes on. Absalom's relationship with David just becomes more and more fractured to the point where they aren't even speaking to each other for years. His son and father, they just, they're not even speaking to each other for years and years. And it gets to the point where his son, Absalom, actually attempts to overthrow his kingdom. He attempts to usurp the throne, and he goes so far as to actually start a coup to take over the kingdom from his dad. Can you imagine that? Like if you were like owned a business and you poured your life into it and all of a sudden your child came along and just in the most sneaky way tried to take it from you, everything you poured your life into, all this faithfulness. That's how broken their relationship was. So just imagine David in this place. His son is trying to take over the throne, and he's forced to flee Jerusalem. He's been on the run before, but he's no longer the young 20-year-old. He's now in his 60s. His dreams did not come true. His family is a mess. His daughter has been raped. His son has been murdered. His other son is at odds with him. He's about to lose his kingdom. His dreams were not coming true. Instead, pain, failure, and disappointment were his reality. And this, I believe, is where our stories intersect with David's. Because although our circumstances may be different, right? They likely are. We all have been in those places where we are heartbroken, right? We're at a loss. We're utterly disappointed. We might even be angry with God, right? Our dreams didn't come true. The job didn't work out. The money didn't come through. Our relationship with our son or daughter looks way different than we expected. 
There can be so much pain in that. And in those places, we often, you know, say things like, where are you, God? How could you? Why did this happen? There's a speaker and songwriter who speaks to this sort of moment. She says this. Her name's Krista Black Gifford. She says, if you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. If you're not anchored in the goodness of God, you'll end up lowering your theology to match your pain. You see, in those places, it's so easy for us to just think that God is near and close when things are good, when things are going our way. And we can think he's far or unjust or unloving when things aren't going well, right? I think that's a natural tendency for all of us. We, that's, that's what I mean by lowering our theology to match our pain. But that is just not how it works in the kingdom. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. And David knew this in his depths. He knew this at his core. Despite his failure, despite his sin, despite many moments of turning away, he actually knew that God's character remained even in his darkest moments. So I want to look at this together. I'm going to put the scripture up there in just a second. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we're at this moment in the story where all these terrible things have happened to David's family, to him, so much loss and disappointment. And he's now at this point in his 60s being run out of Jerusalem by his son, And that is where this story picks up. I want to look at it, and we'll um, sort of end with this scene. So Absalom has orchestrated this plan to overthrow David's kingdom. He's trying to take his father's rule from him, and he moves into Jerusalem with an army. In verse 14, it says, Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, Or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. You see, David, he he cared about protecting the city. He cared about protecting civilians and knew it would be better to run than have this huge fight break out in Jerusalem. So they flee the city. Jumping up to verse 23, it says, The whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. These are the supporters of David, the people who were still with him, the remnant at that time. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. Verse 24, Zadok, who was the high priest at the time, was also there. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. Here's a detail you need to know. You remember that the Ark of the Covenant, it it represented God's presence, right? It was was the the manifest presence of God with the people. And so it was was customary for them to carry the Ark with them into battle. It actually was this really beautiful thing, but over time, it it was abused. It, it, It sort of became this good luck charm for the people. 
at different points where they just equated, oh, if we have the ark with us, then we're going to win this battle, and we don't need to be faithful in these other ways. We're just going to have the ark. And so it was this way of, of sort of manipulating God in some ways. But David, he was not going to manipulate God. He was going to hold fast to what he knew about the character of God. And so in verse 25, he says to Zadok, take the ark of the God back into the city. Which we would read past real quick, but for Zadok, he would have been like, what? Why are you telling me this? Why? We need God's presence with us in in the ark. David says, no, I don't want to, I don't want to manipulate God. I'm leaving this fully up to him. And he says this. This is what I don't want you to miss in verse 25. It's this confidence of David on display. He says, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Here's the point. David lost his world, but he did not lose his confidence in God. He lost his entire world. His whole world was falling apart in this moment, but he did not lose his confidence in God. And I believe that the way he could do that was decades of practice. Decades of turning his life and will over to the care of God. He chose to stand in the character of God rather than the circumstances. You can write that down. The third thing is when our world falls apart, we can stand on the character of God. Who's experienced that before? When your world is falling apart, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of being in God's kingdom is that we can stand in God's character. We can stand in these promises that goodness and love will be at our side, will be pursuing us all the days of our lives. I was just thinking about um, the past month that I've had, and it's been a really good month, really since the start of this year. I am not in a valley right now. I've been in valleys, some really dark places, and I, I know I will be in the future, but the last month or so has just been a season of contentment and experiencing God's abundance and seeing his goodness and love at work. I've seen it in in so many of my friends' lives. It's been the most amazing thing just to have multiple friends come to me who are actually in crisis. And the Lord has just given me words for them and given me the ability to speak into their situation and to, to show them that God's character is true for them And I've been blessed by their stories. I've experienced that here at church, even in the season we're in, as we're exploring this merger, right? And sort of in this season of discernment, I've seen God's 
goodness and mercy. I've seen him show up. I've seen glimpses of him breaking through and making his way known to us, right? I've seen it on Thursday mornings at our prayer meeting. I've seen it Thursday nights in our emotionally healthy spirituality class. I've seen it with my family. I've seen it in my small group. Every Tuesday night, we gather. A few weeks ago, we were just spending time in silence, and this girl in our group heard a word from the Lord, something she hadn't heard in years. She started weeping. I was just sitting there, just amazed with God's goodness and love for his children. And the thing I was thinking about is that in order to experience the fullness of this, we need each other. We need each other. Because, right, some of you are in that place where you're actually full of just abundance and just full of faith. And you're maybe positioned next to some people who need to hear about God's goodness and his love and his faithfulness. And you actually, by God's spirit, can be empowered to speak into their situation. Others of you are in the dark. You're in a dry season waiting, and you need others around you to speak into your situation. And I was thinking about it like this. Just want to leave you with this image. If this really is a banner over us, I imagine it like this, being at a, a birthday party, and if you're standing under a birthday banner that says, Happy Birthday, You can't see it, right? You can't see what the banner says, but you can see the evidence. You can see the people around. You hear them singing to you. You see the cake. You see the presents. And you can know that it says happy birthday. And I think the same thing is true for this banner that hangs over us in all these seasons of goodness and love that we can actually look around and see the evidence that points us to God's faithfulness. But we need each other for that. I want to leave you with just one practice. And it's a simple prayer practice. Um, I think one of the major just barriers to receiving God's love and goodness in moments of pain and disappointment and failure is that all too often we grasp for control. We, we cling tightly to whatever we, we can control. We think we're in control. And so in David's prayer, in that moment, I see that as a prayer of relinquishment when he's fleeing the city. Did you see that where he says, let God do whatever seems good to him, right? I'm ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. And I think we need to make that our prayer. Relinquish control. And so there's a very simple prayer practice um, called welcoming prayer. And it simply is just welcoming Jesus into our moments, particularly of pain and disappointment and failure and letting go of control. So before it's up on the screen, I just want to read these four prayers. And if you would, just close your eyes if you're comfortable and listen for the one that the Spirit is highlighting for you. 
What is the Holy Spirit highlighting for you to hold on to? These are the four prayers. The first, Jesus, I let go of my need to be safe and secure. Welcome. The second, Jesus, I let go of my need to be accepted and approved of. Welcome. The third, Jesus, I let go of my need to control this person or event. Welcome. And the last, Jesus, I let go of my need to change reality and receive it as it is. Welcome. I'm just going to put those up there for you to see. And I just want you to hold on to just one. If you are taking notes, I'd encourage you just to write it down or put it in your phone. And this is something that you can actually take with you and put it on a sticky note, hold it before you this next week. I think as we learn to let go of our control, we'll actually, over time, become easier and easier to trust in the character of God rather than ourselves and what we can do. Let me just pray for us. Lord God, we just remember in this moment that you are so good. You're abounding in love and faithfulness, so gracious and kind to us. And I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for the promises that we can cling to. I thank you for David's story. Just that moment in the story where he is at the lowest of lows, fleeing for his life, and yet standing in your character. And I pray for our church, I pray for any individual in this room that, that you would empower us to do the same. May we be a people who would turn our lives and our wills over to you. Lord, I pray even now that you would just interpret the words that are spoken. That you would just, just cement them in our minds, whatever we need to hold on to, and that we would hear your word today for us. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Every child said, Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.